Our sermon text comes from John 15, 1 through 8. Hear the the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Now, um, I'm actually not supposed to be preaching today. Um, So in our uh, sermon schedule, we scheduled out months ago, uh, Pastor Avery was supposed to be preaching this morning, and he was supposed to be preaching from John chapter 14. And he actually wrote a wonderful sermon on John chapter 14. I had a chance to, to read it on Friday, and then on Saturday morning he texted me and he told me that he wasn't feeling great, you know, just to be on standby just in case. And by the way, I did not write a sermon this past week on John 14. Um, and so he, he, but he told me, he's like, hey, I might be fine, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. And then about three o'clock on Saturday, he just gave me the go ahead. He was like, I can't do it. He, so Avery's in, he's at home, he's in bed this morning, he's not feeling great. Um, so be in prayer for Avery. Um, I I love times like this, um, and here's why. So it could potentially be very stressful for a preacher, because obviously this past week I had not planned to to preach. I had not prepared anything at all. Um, I I had a couple choices. Um, I could have, and this is totally permissible if I do this in the future, just because I did it this way this week, like, you know, I just want to let you know, if I do it this other way, it's okay, all right? If it's not okay, uh, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. Um, But it's totally okay to pull a sermon that you've preached in the past and and then just preach it again. There's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if if I had, if, if Avery had gotten here this morning and gotten sick, I mean, and I had like 20 minutes there would be no way for me to write a sermon in 20 minutes. I would have to pull something that I preached in the past. It's totally fine. But did, since I did have about five or six hours, um, I, I took this as an opportunity to say, this is not accidental. The Lord obviously afflicted Avery with uh, some cold or whatever it is, um, because someone here needs to hear John chapter 15. We had planned to preach John chapter 14, um, where Jesus makes this, this claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here instead, last minute, we are looking at John chapter 15, I am the true vine, this claim from Jesus. So we're continuing our series. We have two weeks left. This week, this was supposed to be the last sermon in this series. Um, It's going to be the next to last sermon. Next week, Avery will preach that wonderful sermon from John chapter 14, and then we will move on um, and likely get back to the book of Acts in the fall. Um, But we're finishing up this series over the next two weeks where we have been looking at the real Jesus. What we have proposed is that there are tons of misconceptions about Jesus out there. 
um, and not just out there in the world, out there in the church, and also in here, and also in here, in our own hearts. We are prone to hold misconceptions about Jesus, and we've said this is really dangerous, because if we are expecting Jesus to be something or do something that he has not promised to be or do, we will be sorely disappointed, and we may just miss out on the real Jesus, and we cannot miss out on the real Jesus because he is so good and he provides exactly what we need. Um, misconceptions about Jesus abound, and, and they don't just abound when you think about the, the nature of Jesus' person or, or the purpose of his coming to earth. They also abound in his relationship to his people. What relationship does Jesus have to his people now? So as we're reading the Gospels, Jesus is face-to-face -face with his disciples. He is right with them. He is talking with them. He is ministering to them. And then eventually he, he dies a public death. He is resurrected, and it's public. People see him after his resurrection. And then, as we read at the end of the Gospels, some of the Gospels, and then in the book of Acts... Um, we see that Jesus not only commissioned his disciples to live on mission for him, but Jesus left. He ascended into heaven. And so that's where Jesus is right now. He has ascended into heaven. He is not here with us. So what is the nature of Jesus' relationship with his people now, knowing that he's not walking through those doors, and if he's walking through those doors, you know, you guys will all be blessed because you don't get to hear a sermon that was prepared in five hours' time. Um, but apart from that, what is his relationship to us? Now, here's some misconceptions. I, I, I thought of three of them last night. And the first is that now, after you come to faith in Jesus, Jesus' relationship to you looks like this. His grace is so sufficient his love so sure that you can live however you want. You can, you, you can live however you want. It, you, you can, uh, uh, you know, obey his word if you want to. You can disobey his word if you want to. It really doesn't matter because Jesus is so gracious and he's so loving to you and he's going to forgive you at every single point. So it really doesn't matter how you live. Another misconception is that Jesus' work is done. So he's done his part. He, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and now the rest of the Christian life is just up to you. And he's waiting, and he's looking, and he's judging. And if you happen to live the right kind of life, and you live the life that he expects, then you're good, and you're going to be with him forever. But if you fail, then you will face judgment. Jesus has done his part, now it's up to you. That, that's a misconception. And a third one that is rather common around here is that nominal faith is sufficient faith. That Jesus really doesn't, you know, have much to do with you. He's not the Lord of your life. His grace is sufficient, but what really matters is that you say you're a believer. You're a Christian in name only, essentially. But, so we need to ask, in light of some of these misconceptions and more that, that we experience, what does Jesus actually expect of us? What is the nature of Jesus' relationship to us right now? The real Jesus, the real ascended Jesus. In order to highlight what Jesus really expects of us once we start following him, I want to show you three things from this passage. First, I want to show you who Jesus is. 
Second, I want to show you who we are in relation to Jesus. And third, I want to show you how to be who we are in Jesus. So who Jesus is, who we are in relation to Jesus, and how to be who you are in Jesus. John 15, 1 through 8. Here's what I hope we see today. That as the true vine, Jesus has come to be what we have always failed to be in order to shape us into what we were always meant to be. And we're going to do that by looking at those three truths. Okay, first, who Jesus is. Jesus makes these radical claims about himself. The humble, lowly, loving Jesus steps up time and time again, and he says with authority, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and here I am the true vine. Now, what does he mean here? He says in in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, and then he enters into this metaphor, and there isn't a ton of explanation. There's There's just a metaphor here to explain his relationship to his people, but there's not really a, a clear explanation of what Jesus means when he says, I am the true vine. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, it's going to make very little sense to you. What does Jesus mean when he claims to be the true vine? He means one thing. Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel. I am the true Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, um, there are uh, plenty of uses of plant or tree or vine imagery and all of these symbolic descriptions of God's people. So, for instance, the Lord, he speaks of planting his people in the land. In Psalm 80, David describes the Lord's bringing a vine out of Egypt and planting it in the land. In Isaiah 5, Isaiah, he actually likens Israel to a vineyard that the Lord had planted and tended. And I actually want to encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to Isaiah chapter 5 right now. So turn to Isaiah 5. It may take you a minute to get there. Um, I actually have a cheat because I knew I was going to turn there and I have a little ribbon. I'm just going to flip in a second. Um, Isaiah is uh, one of the first, it's the first large book that comes after the Psalms. So you can turn back to the Psalms if you're familiar with them and then go a little bit further. Um, Isaiah, and we'll be in uh, Isaiah chapter 5. This Old Testament imagery, as you're making your way there, of vines and of vineyards, this is the backdrop for Jesus' claim to be the true vine. Jesus is essentially saying, I am the true Israel. He's saying all of the promises that God made to Israel find ultimate fulfillment in me. And Jesus has come to fulfill all of the covenant obligations of the people of Israel and the ones that they continually failed to fulfill. We see that in Isaiah chapter 5. So in Isaiah 5, I'm going to read the first seven verses. Follow along with me. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why why did it yield wild grapes? 
And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So, so here we see very clearly that this vineyard or this vine is the people of Israel, and the Lord has been tending it, but they have not produced fruit. They have produced wild grapes. They have, not, they have not produced good fruit for the Lord. And so now he is going to, to judge them. He is going to remove them. He is going to, to remove the source of life from this vine. It has not been what it was created to be. The people of Israel, God's people, were like a vine, like a vineyard that was planted in his land. And it was meant to bear much fruit for him and acts of righteousness and love for him and others. But they failed Miserably, Time and time again, they did not bear fruit. They did not glorify God. Isaiah tells us when God looked for justice, what did he find? He found, he found bloodshed. When he looked for righteousness, he found no righteousness. So the Lord judged his people. As a gardener, you, you notice the language? It says that he refused to prune the, the vineyard. He refused. Um, he allowed thorns to grow up and as the Lord says later in, in the prophet Jeremiah, we have this, this quote from Jeremiah, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So, so you see what Jesus is saying here. I'm not like Israel. I have come to be what Israel was always meant to be. I am the true vine. Unlike the corrupt vine of Israel, Jesus always and only bears good fruit. When God looked in him for justice, there was much to be found. When he looked in Jesus for righteousness, there was plenty. Now, now why does it matter to us that Jesus is the true vine or the true Israel? Because that, that concept is a little foreign to us. So, so why does it matter? Well, Jesus is what we were always meant to be. And Jesus does what we have failed to do. We were created in the image of God. We were created for the purpose of glorifying God. We were created for the purpose of showcasing the weight of his character to all the world. But instead, we have grown inward on ourselves. We have not borne good fruit. There is no life within us, and by nature, there is no justice or righteousness to be found. And this presents two problems for us, which, which shows us why it's very important for Jesus to be what we have failed to be, the true vine. The problems of alienation and guilt. As the true vine, Jesus provides relief and freedom from the alienation of sin. You see, by adopting this Old Testament imagery— of a vine and applying it to himself, Jesus is actually declaring something pretty radical and very new. He's saying that our standing in the people of God, our place in the vineyard, no longer depends on a connection to Abraham, but it depends on a connection to him. 
Under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, uh, genealogical descent from Abraham was the key to entrance into God's people with, with a few exceptions. But since Jesus is saying that all of this Old Testament imagery of vines and vineyards is fulfilled in him, that he himself is the true vine, the true Israel, he's saying that a person's belonging in the people of God depends on your connection to him. This is radical. This is, this is huge. That means that it's not just open to Jews. It's open to Gentiles. It's not just open to those who are religious. It's open to those who, who are irreligious. It means that although sin and all the ways that we are prone to think and speak and act that would keep us alienated from God, because Jesus is the true vine, it means that it is now possible for us to be included in the people of God to be alienated no more, to be welcomed in and to be reconciled to God. So if you are in Christ today, if you are believing in Jesus today, you belong to God. He is your Father. In all of these wonderful promises that we find in the Old Testament that were given to Israel, that Israel would have the Lord's protection and his blessing and his peace and his land and his love, all of those promises are yours. How? Because of Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have all of the blessing, all of the protection, and all of the life that was promised to Israel. So as the true vine, Jesus provides relief and freedom from alienation. But as the true vine, Jesus also provides tremendous relief and freedom from the guilt of sin. Okay, so by virtue of being created in the image of God, we each have a moral compass on our hearts. And, and while some of us may have different standards for what's right and what's wrong, and maybe, maybe we extend the gray areas of life a little too much, at the end of the day, a lot of us know when we're in the wrong. We know when we've crossed the line. We, we, we know when we have sinned. Um, in a lot of ways, we don't even need a Bible to tell us when we have sinned, because our own hearts will attest to its own sin. Um, so... When we exercise this self-awareness and we see just how far we have strayed from our original design, if you have a conscience at all, you will feel somewhat guilty. How, how could I? How could I live this way? Why can't I stop living this way? What is wrong with me? How have I failed so miserably? And then whenever you think of, of your sin in relation to God... How could he ever, if he is just at all, if he is holy at all, how could he ever be okay? How could he ever forgive? How could he ever allow me into his presence? And the guilt is overwhelming. Well, here's what you need to remember. Every time you are reminded of how badly you miss the mark of God's standard, every time that you remember that you are not as you should be, and you fail to do what you should do, you need to remember these words from Jesus. I am the true vine. You need to remember that Jesus himself has come to be for you what you have failed to be. He has come to be for you what you should have always been. And he has come to do for you what you continually fail 
to do. Jesus is sufficient. This realization right here frees us to actually grow more and more into God's design and desire for us. Because it's through Jesus that he fulfills all of the desires of God and all of the demands of God. You see, in Jesus, anything is possible. Even messed up people like us can showcase God's perfect glory in the world if we are connected to Jesus, who is the true vine. So Jesus is the true vine. Now, second thing we need to consider. So that's who Jesus is. He's the true vine. Who are we in relation to Jesus? Who are we? Well, Jesus says that we are the branches. Okay, so, so follow with me, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. All right, we're just going to stop right there. Jesus is expanding this metaphor. If he is the true vine, and the only way to be included in this vineyard is to be connected to Jesus, it follows that Jesus' followers are the branches. And Jesus says there are two kinds of branches in his vineyard. First kind, there are branches that do not bear fruit, and they are removed. All right, so again, not from experience, because I don't believe I could keep any type of plant alive for longer than a week. Um, but I have heard that in order for plants like uh, rose bushes or vines to, to thrive, they have to be pruned. Okay, you can't just allow thorns to grow up. You can't just leave them to themselves. They have to be cared for. Um, if they are not pruned, uh, uh, fruitless branches can, can actually take over the, the life of the plant and root out um, all of the fruit-bearing uh, branches. So any branch that is connected to the true vine that does not bear fruit will be removed. Um, here's what we see here. Jesus actually cares about the totality of, of your life in him all right Jesus is not just interested in making converts he is interested in making disciples um, this misconception that I mentioned earlier about nominal faith nominal faith is sufficient faith I, I really do fear that there are a lot more people than we realize who believe that their positive thoughts about Jesus or their nice words about Jesus or their mere identification with Jesus is sufficient faith I feel that there are plenty of people, um, likely plenty of people right here in Tupelo, who may consider themselves to be Christians, but don't actually follow Jesus. And, and maybe that's you today. Maybe they occasionally attend church, maybe they own a few Bibles, but there's no spiritual life in them. They live for themselves, they're counting on their nominal faith to be enough in the end as if checking a box that you're a Christian on a survey is enough you see they want the benefits of the vineyard without meaningful connection to the vine and, and these are branches that do not bear fruit these are people who think they are okay with God because they are familiar with Jesus 
There's a great book called The Unsaved Christian written by a pastor. His name is Dean and Sarah. And uh, he does. He calls these people unsaved Christians. And, and they, they are a huge mission field in the American South. Um, in Sarah writes of unsaved Christians, he says this. They think they are just fine with God and God is just fine with them because, now listen to this, they aren't atheists and they have been to church before. And, and there, there are likely plenty of people who, who evaluate their standing with God on the basis of what they're not. Well, at least I'm not this. At least I'm not that. And I have some positive things to say about Jesus, but there's no fruit in their life. There's no spiritual fruit. There's no life that's actually within them. Jesus says, this is a branch that is trying to connect to me, and it does not bear fruit. What will happen to that branch? It will be removed. You see, we are very prone to move the target and make our own rules to the game. But Jesus is the one who sets the rules. If you're connected to Jesus, you will bear fruit. If you say you're connected to Jesus, but you're not bearing fruit, it doesn't work that way. If you're connected to the vine where there is life, there will be life in you. There will be life that flows from you. There will be spiritual fruit. It's, it's the way it works. So if you're trying to connect to Jesus in name only, it's, it's not just an innocent mistake. You are a branch that does not bear fruit, and the end is removal, judgment. You will face the judgment of God. You will face the wrath of God because you are not connected to the vine. This is an important warning for us. You can fool others about the true state of your heart. I could fool you about the true state of my heart. But we can't fool Jesus. We cannot fool God the Father, the vine dresser. He comes and he sees and he knows the vine dresser comes and he sees. The gardener comes and he sees the vine and he knows which branches are bearing fruit and which branches are not and those that are not are cast out um, so there are branches that do not bear fruit and they will be removed but then we also see here that there are branches that do bear fruit and they are pruned okay so these are the true branches connected to the true vine their connection to the vine is obvious in the fruit that they produce there's life in them and there's life produced through them. Bearing spiritual fruit is a new normal for Jesus' followers. That's your normal. You, you see this? If you're connected to Jesus by faith, your normal existence as a Christian is to bear spiritual fruit. To do good, to love others, to serve others. To bring life where there is death, to bring light where there is darkness be a source of joy and hope that that's your new normal it's who we are because of who we're connected to it's the result of faith in jesus jesus as the true vine produces much spiritual fruit in those who are connected to him by faith now here's what he's doing he is clarifying what it looks like to be connected to him he's helping us visualize what faith in him actually looks like and what it actually leads to branches that are connected to the true vine must bear good fruit and that's because there is life in the vine. Part of being a follower of Jesus is to bear good fruit in his name and by his power. 
We exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. We exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We love and serve others. We sacrifice for the good of others. We work for peace in our relationships. We seek to cultivate joy, and we care for those who are in need. And we do all of those things because of who we are connected to, and that's the key. None of these good deeds are done in order to earn a place in the vineyard. We don't bear fruit so that then God will connect us to the vine. That's not how it works. Because we are connected to the vine, we bear spiritual fruit. Because you are already connected to Jesus, you bear fruit. We strive to do as much good as we can, to bear as much spiritual fruit as we can, because that's what those who believe in Jesus do. It's who we are in him. We are fruit-bearing branches. Now, how do we do it? So, Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. If we're connected to him, we will bear spiritual fruit. How can we be sure that we are branches who are bearing fruit? Well, Jesus tells us. He tells us how to be these types of branches. And it comes through abiding in him. Look at, look at verse 4. Jesus says here, Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There are two ways that we can become branches who bear good fruit. And the first is to abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Now what does this mean? Abiding in Jesus simply and literally means to Make your dwelling place with Jesus, to remain with him, to be with him. It means to relate to Jesus in the same way that a branch relates to the vine. Abiding in Jesus means to be so in touch and so in sync with Jesus that his wants become your wants, that his desires become your Desires, And that's why Jesus is able to say here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, this is abiding in Jesus on steroids, where you are so in sync with him, where you are so in touch with who Jesus is and what he wants, that you are able to actually pray whatever you want and it will be done for you because you are praying within the very heartbeat of Jesus himself. Abiding with Jesus means to cultivate a relationship with him. It means that his word isn't just something you're familiar with, but rather his words are embedded in your heart. In our, in our theological tradition, um, we're, we're not overly spiritual. And, and it's, it's a shame. It's a shame that we're not more spiritual. Because we, we almost treat the Bible as if it's a textbook. And, and we almost treat prayer as, as if we're almost afraid to pray. I mean, I, I remember praying prayers where I would say things like, uh, you know, Lord, I, I 
praying for like church members who are sick you know lord i pray that you would heal them unless you don't want to you know i don't want to ask you to do something you don't want to do and lord you're sovereign and you're in control so do you know you you do whatever you want and uh just i don't know like terrified to to ask the lord to to do something um and that's because that was evidence of a person who did not have a close relationship with him treating god as some distant power some distant deity when, when I read the Bible or when I used to read the Bible, I would read the Bible simply to increase my knowledge of, of God so I can just know more stuff as if I'm just a brain on a stick. And, and it's a shame because Jesus says here, the only way for you to bear fruit is to abide in me, to be with me, to commune with me, to spend time. Do you know you can do that? It's difficult, and when your children ask you tonight how you can abide with someone you can't see, just, uh, you know, the Lord's blessing be with you, um, it's, it's difficult, right? How, how do you abide with Jesus? Simply acknowledging that you can abide with him acknowledges that he is real. Jesus is real. Do you believe that? Have you thought about that for, for a minute? Or do you just treat Jesus like a character in a novel? He is really ascended he is at the right hand of the father he is a person that you have access to that you can commune with he is someone whose presence you can feel so abide with him cultivate a relationship with him because if you try to live life without him and you're just counting on him for the last day you're not going to bear fruit branches that try to live without the life of the vine they wither away and the same is true for us if we're not abiding with jesus but instead relying on ourselves our own knowledge our own abilities we will spiritually wither away rc sproul he said the degree of your fruitfulness as a christian will be directly proportionate to how close you stay to jesus how much you feed on his word and how intimate your relationship is to him would you say that your life right now reflects an intimate relationship with Jesus or a self-sufficient go at life alone? Do you depend more on Jesus or more on yourself? Abide with Jesus and you will bear much fruit. The more you abide with Jesus, the more you will experience his abiding with you. And as you remain with him, he will renew you. So abide with Jesus. Be with him. Now, how do we do that? How, how do we do it? What does it look like? And I just want to offer three words here. Word, prayer, and community. How can you abide with Jesus practically this week? By the way, unless you're just completely checked out at this point, which, hey, you know, it's okay. Um, you're abiding with Jesus right now. As we are hearing his words and you are and you are meditating on it you are abiding with jesus right now so so here's here's what it means okay so abide with jesus through his word this means it's a different approach to reading the bible you're not just reading the bible to retain more information you are reading the bible to be with jesus you are reading the bible to commune with jesus and the best way that you can do that is to cultivate a habit of bible reading your heart will benefit so much more from short, habitual Bible readings than it will from occasional intense Bible studies. 
When you wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning, if you took 30 seconds to read whatever from the Bible, read a psalm. Tomorrow, what is tomorrow? August 2nd, read Psalm 2. Read Psalm 2. Read Proverbs 2. Read Matthew 2. And you read for 30 seconds. And then the very next day, at the very same time, for 30 seconds, you read the next, the next psalm. And the next day, 30 seconds, at the exact same time, you read. And you do that every single day. 30 seconds, or just a minute. And you're doing it to be with Jesus and to hear from him. You are cultivating a relationship with him, and that is how you're going to bear much fruit. You don't bear much fruit by gaining a ton of knowledge about what God expects of you, thinking that then you can, you can come up with a plan for how you can do great gospel work in the world. That's not how it works. You bear fruit on the basis of your connection to Jesus. So a person who is close to Jesus, I think, I think of my grandmother who, who spends, has, she has a habitual time of reading her Bible and praying, and the type of person that she, that she is, the type of person that the Lord has shaped her into over the years, and the way that she immediately responds to things with patience and not panic, the way that she immediately responds to, to things with, with gratitude and not grumbling. It's because she is abiding with Jesus. He is producing spiritual fruit in her. So change the way you read the Bible. Read the Bible not to learn more, but to be with God more. Okay, another one, prayer. All right, one grand purpose of prayer is once again, simple yet astonishing communion with God. The spiritual nearness of God is experienced as we speak with him. So don't, don't just pray because you feel like there's, there's a duty or obligation for you. Pray because through prayer you are cultivating a relationship with God. And then finally, community. We abide in Jesus as we participate in the community that knows, loves, and worships Jesus. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We abide in Jesus every Sunday morning through prayer and through song, through reading his word, and through the Lord's Supper. Abide in Jesus through his word, through, par- through prayer, and through his people. Um, one more thing here, and, and this, this is really helpful to me. One more way that you can bear fruit, be a branch that bear, bears fruit. You abide in Jesus, but also you have to be pruned by the vine dresser. Um, even when we are near to Jesus, there remains sinful characteristics, thoughts, and actions in our hearts that need to be cut away. Um, they need to be removed. We, over time, develop unhealthy or spiritual, spiritually destructive habits. And from time to time, our Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, will discipline us. He, he will show us our sin oftentimes in painful ways. And he does so for the purpose of pruning our hearts. And if you've ever come under the discipline of the Lord, you you faced a consequence for, for your sin, your sin has been revealed, and it has just hurt. And it has been painful. It is so tempting to think that because your sin has been found out and that the Lord is disciplining you, that he is condemning you that he's given up on you, 
that he will never have anything to do with you again. But what's so encouraging here is that pruning or discipline is not evidence that God has abandoned us. It's the opposite. It's evidence that we are fruit-bearing branches. Look what he says in verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But what does he do with every branch that bears fruit? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. The Lord will prune us. He will, he will cut away at the things that will take us away from Jesus for the purpose of drawing us nearer to him. N.T. Wright says, The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health than when he has the knife in his hand. Branches that abide in the vine and submit to the vine dresser's pruning knife when necessary will live and will bear much fruit. I want to close with this. There are two results here. Two results to being connected to the vine and bearing much fruit. When you bear fruit, two things will happen. One, God will be glorified. Look at verse 8. By this, by this process of being connected to the vine, being connected to Jesus, and then producing fruit, God will be glorified. As you bear fruit in your daily lives, not only will others be better for it, not only will you be better for it, but God himself will be glorified. You can glorify God this week by bearing spiritual fruit. And then finally, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you are struggling with doubt today as to whether or not you're really a Christian, you need to talk to someone who's close to you. And as they see spiritual fruit in your life, it will be evidence, both to you and to them, that you are truly connected to the vine, that you truly are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important. There is no greater way to provide assurance of salvation to others in this church than to tell them when you see the Lord working in them. When you see someone bearing spiritual fruit, please tell them. Tell them that you see it. Because when you tell them that, God will be glorified and there will be proof that they are disciples. There will be joy, there will be gladness as we see that though we are fallen, though we are sinful, the Lord continues to work in us. He continues to shape us and he continues to use us for his purposes. Not because we figured it out, but because we are connected to the only one who brings us into the people of God and gives us life to share with others.